There's so many different religions, I don't have the time to name them. Is each one a different road that is made from the same pavement? Does every road out there go to the same destination? Does every religion offer us the same salvation? Can mankind make an image of a god and be convinced that the god that they imagine in their mind is a god that exists? But if god made man, how can man make a god and make a claim that god is confined to fit within a frame? How can mankind decide how god should be identified? Can you alter the truth if you accept or deny? Do the stars disappear when the blind look at the sky? Or do they simply fail to see what was there the whole time? Is this flesh all that we have? Is life over when we die? Is this rotting body all that we got? Is there a soul inside? Is there no absolutes in this life? No truth, no wrong, no right, no dark, no light, no. If God is love, why does he allow the hatred? If he wiped out the wicked, the whole earth would be vacant. He is our breath of life, but our sin suffocated and separated. This necessitated resuscitation for spiritual respiration and reconciliation to recognize our desperation for restoration from the devastation of sin's domination who can save us to god alone belongs salvation well hello to all of our campuses this morning hello to downtown and midtown and hello to dupage in chicago miss you guys hope you're having a great and awesome summer and then hello to battle creek this morning so glad each and every one of you are here today and uh, i know you've had a great time as you've been here worshiping, and we're going to go in the Word of God today and see what He has for us and what we can apply to our lives. So as we leave this place today, we're ready and we are prepared for what He has in front of us, all right? Uh, I remember back many, many, many years ago now, the summer after I was in the sixth grade, and my parents were faced with a dilemma. What were they going to do with me all summer? I was a bit of an active child. Right? I like to get into stuff, and if I wasn't getting into stuff, I wasn't happy. And so my parents had to find a constructive way to get me watched, a little bit under control, and where they could kind of keep an eye on me. Well, they both worked, and they both worked at a college. And so my parents came up with this great idea that instead of hiring a babysitter for me for the summer, they would put me into indentured servitude. And so for the grand total of $1 per hour, I went to work. Uh, with the uh, lawn and maintenance team at this college the summer after, after sixth grade. And so, you know, I will say to my parents, though, you know, that 35 to $40 a week uh, that I made uh, was a bit genius on their part because I paid for all my school clothes that next, that next school year and for my going to church camp that summer. So there was some genius there uh, that was associated as well. The other thing that happened was I began to get introduced to this thing called a to-do list. Right, The things I had to uh, get done and, and the things by which I was going to be judged and my performance was going to be judged that was going to say whether or not I was being successful. Well, I had some very specific responsibilities, not a whole lot you can get a five foot two sixth grader to do all day long, but I was given the responsibility that out in front of this administration building, we were in Southern California, imagine beautiful, beautiful uh, summers, green, green grass, these big, huge, lush trees. Uh, but right in front of the administration building, these huge leaves would fall and cover the grass overnight, every night. So my responsibility at 7 a.m. every Monday through Friday in the summer was to rake the leaves in front of the administration building so it would look nice uh, every day. Well, uh, 7 a.m. in the summer, that's a little early for a sixth grader, right? Because we were getting there at 6.30 and all this kind of stuff. But I would go get my rake, 
And I would go out and I would begin to rake the leaves. Well, occasionally, especially when I got later on in the week, I found a way that I could get just enough lean on that rake and I could close my eyes and I could kind of go back to sleep and catch a few, right? And kind of get refreshed for what was lying ahead of me the rest of the day. Well, that was great until one day the school president came walking up. His name was Jack Baskin. And uh, President Baskin came walking up and I had just gotten comfortable. And I remember his voice to this day. And, I, you know, I'm five foot two. He is six foot four, monster of a man. And he says, Keith Walker, are you holding up that rake or is that rake holding you? And I woke up all startled and scared. And he said, listen here, young man, your responsibility is to make sure that every one of these leaves is raked up and put away so that when people come onto this property and they walk up to this administration building, they go, wow, these people got it together. All of that is on your shoulders. Can you get it done? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm going to get it done. And so that was a great instruction in my life to, to make sure that I got the things done that I needed to get done. And listen, I found out how it was that I was going to be judged, what the criteria was, what the performance was going to need to be from me in order to be uh, successful. Now, listen, we all have responsibilities. We got responsibilities at home. Uh, we got responsibilities at school. And we got responsibilities at our job. And a lot of companies, I worked for 15 years at a great company here uh, in Tulsa called the Bama Companies, and, and we had what we call job descriptions, right? Two-page document, and on that two-page document, gave you a quick summary of what the company was all about, a quick summary of what your job was all about, said what your qualifications needed to be, and what your responsibilities were going to be. And listen, down at the bottom, there might have been a section that said measurement of success, right? So you need to do this. And you need to do this, and you need to do this. And if you do these things, you get the big check mark, and you are successful. It's your job description. Now, when I was a supervisor, what I always liked to do is I'd bring a new employee into my office, set them down at the table, and we'd begin to have a discussion about their job description, right? And I'd have a copy, and they'd have a copy, and we'd go through it and say, hey, man, I just want you to be successful here. And we believe people helping people be successful is very important to us. And so I want to make sure that you understand what this place is about and what you're responsible to do. And so we'd go through that. Well, sometimes after six months or 18 months or maybe six years, We'd have to sit back down again at the table, right? And I'd reach into my file drawer and I'd pull out the job description and say, hey, so-and-so, just want to remind you about a few things, okay? And we're going to go back through this. I want to make sure you remember what it is that you're responsible to do and the things that are important that, uh, that di dictate whether or not you can be successful in your job. Oh, that'd be great. And I said, and we'd come up with what we would call an improvement plan. Anybody ever had an improvement plan? Yeah, improvement plans aren't as good as they seem, right? Because they usually got a timeline associated with them, like 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. And if we don't see these things being accomplished in the next 30, 60, 90 days, we're going to have a different conversation, right? And so those things work pretty good. As a matter of fact, they worked so well. One time I had the bright idea, and I took one home for my wife. And I sat down with her at the table, and we went through her job description, and that didn't go so well. Matter of fact, I ended up with the improvement plan that day. And so, uh, but that's just the way things are uh, sometimes in life. Listen, we all like to know how we're going to be judged. We all like to know what success is going to look like. Uh, we all like to know what my to-dos are and what my responsibilities are. 
Because for the most part, just about everybody sitting in this room and in our culture and our society, they like to get things done. I'm that kind of a person. I like goals. I like lists. I like knowing that I accomplished what it is that I've been expected to accomplish. Now, religion, oftentimes it's filled with to-dos. And religion as we have defined it and as Alex has defined it in the book is a man-made path to God. It's us coming up with, in essence, it's us sitting down and us writing our very own job description for the Lord and for him understanding what success is going to look like for us as we define it. I mean, imagine that. We are literally sitting across the table from the creator of the universe, and we're helping him to clearly understand what it is that we're going to be doing that is going to result in us receiving our lifetime bonus. Sadly, uh, when what religion has done as religion has sat down and it has twisted the words of God and it has reshaped them and it has remolded them and it's taken the work of Jesus Christ and it's done it for one purpose and that is to drive a certain type of performance that each and every one of us give. Religion is us choosing to put our trust in what we do instead of placing our faith in what God has done. Over the last month, Alex has, has done a great job of outlining for us and identifying for us four paths, four paths that usually lead, that always lead to a dead end, paths that are paved uh, with deeds and, and with an idea of pursuit that we might ultimately be able to please God, that we might earn his favor and his acceptance. And he's talked about the religion of self, and he's talked about the religion of legalism and inferiority, and also the religion of guilt. And I hope that if you haven't been here, that you would take advantage. We have a teachings page on our, on our website, and I want to encourage every one of you, if you haven't heard those sermons, please go back and watch those sermons and get the book, the Jesus Hates Religion book, and begin to study that and, and use it in your own walk and maybe in your community group or, or maybe in a relationship that you have with somebody in your life that may be struggling with some of that. But you, he's done a great job of pointing out these things to us that, that take us the wrong direction, that take us in a way that we don't need to be going. Now listen, I am, well, I'm not directionally impaired. I'm not directionally challenged. Most of the time I'm just lost. I mean, I don't know where I'm going half the time. I live two miles from the Battle Creek campus. And oftentimes on my way home, I find myself in neighborhoods that I've never been to before. I, I just get lost. My wife, when we go on trips and we drive somewhere, she's the navigator. And she helps get us to the place we're supposed to go. And she tells me where to turn and, and all of that. We took a family vacation one year uh, to Wyoming. If I'd have been responsible for all that, we'd have gone to Disney World. We'd have never gotten to Wyoming. Your taxes, I need to thank you for this. Your taxes pay for signage along the highways and the streets of our great country, and they're just for me. They help me get to where I need to be. And Steve Jobs, he created Siri just for me to talk to me and to help me get to where I need to go when I'm all by myself. That's just me being honest. And part of the honesty that we find in Jesus Hates Religion is that we've, we've been given bad man-made directions. Directions that have taken many of us down the path of trying to please God instead of trusting God. It's taken us down a path of 
performance instead of just turning our eyes to him and building relationship with him. What does the path of religion look like? Well, it's paved, and it's paved with the deeds that we try to accomplish in life. And it focuses us away from God, and it gets our heart off of God, and instead it focuses us on trying to be good. Now, Jesus, Jesus said of him, listen, Jesus is our true north. And Jesus is the compass, and he is the one. And literally, what did he say? I am the way. He's the one that guides us and directs us in the way that we need to go. And, and he, we all like to have a mission. I love working for a church that has a mission. I love being a person who has a mission in life. And Jesus said, I've got a mission. And my mission, and you guys can help me finish this statement, my mission is, in all of our campuses, to seek and save those that are lost. That was Jesus' mission. He says, listen, here's what I'm about. I'm about seeking and saving those that are lost. Hello, that is me. His mission was to find me and to save me. Jesus stood, and this is one of the things that got him into trouble with the religious people of the day. Jesus stood against the load and the burden and the barrier and the misdirection of religion. And the religious hated him for it. And Satan hated him for it. Matter of fact, I have a picture of what it looks like when you are burdened with works in your life. Yeah, can you relate to that? I know that I can. I mean, it gets my feet up off the ground, and I, I'm just going crazy when I just get weighted down with all of this stuff that I'm trying to do in my life to try to please someone or trying to please him. Jesus' purpose was about conforming, wasn't about conforming to conditions, but transforming our minds. It wasn't about conforming to conditions, but transforming our minds. He was never about what was forbidden. He was about delivering freedom into our lives. And, and today, here's what I like to do. I would like to post a do not enter sign today. A do not enter sign. Uh, on a dead end path. On our journey trying to get to God's grace. And yesterday, Jennifer and I went driving out east of here and went and found this neighborhood, that we, really beautiful neighborhood, you know, and, and lots of little cul-de-sacs, but every one of them had a sign. Right when you turn it, it said dead end. And the religion of works and all these different religions that we've been talking about for the last four weeks, that's what they take you to. They take you to a dead end. But here's what was great about those little streets that we were on yesterday. We could turn around. And just because you've come maybe to a dead end in your life or maybe you're on a path that you see the dead end is ahead of you, Jesus Christ can allow you to make a U-turn and to come back around and to get back onto that path and begin that journey with him. And so many of us, caught up in the religion of works and it's loading it up with good actions and so many good actions in our life that finally we'll hope to say, hear God say, listen, I accept you. And what Jesus really wants us to know, what God really wants to know is, I do accept you. And it's not about the things that you've done. It's not about the accomplishments of your life. Now I went over to my mom and dad's house a couple of weeks ago for Mother's Day and my mom said, hey, I found something in an old trunk uh, the other day and I think you might want to have it. And this is my Cub Scout uniform uh, when I was in uh, Pack 84, Den Number 4 in Seoul, South Korea when I was a little boy, all right? Which, great thing for me, okay, back then. A book, a whole bunch of things to go do, you get red beads, right? More stuff to do, you get a patch, 
right? And, and, and go on these little trips and all that. And not, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, a great organization, great thing for people to learn a lot of stuff in life. And, and, but I remember going, right? And I, I got my bobcat and I got my bear, but I fell short of my wolf, you know, which is a little bit of a problem I'm still dealing with in my life, right? But uh, I like, you know, progress toward ranks, right? And I wanted ranks, right? More beads, the better, you know, and I wanted to elevate and I wanted to escalate. But a representation, right? We'd wear these shirts with great pride when we go to our pack meetings, right? Where we would all come together, right? And we would show off all these things that we'd accomplished because we think, hey, when I accomplish and when I do and when I perform, then I am accepted and I am received and life is successful. Doesn't work that way in the Christian life doesn't work like that in our relationship with Jesus Christ. By no means are we the first group of people to go down this path, though. I mean, people have been dealing with this for thousands and thousands of years. As a matter of fact, there was a church in the area of Galatia that was struggling with this, and, and Paul wrote him a letter one time. He said, listen, how foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts, right? Because it's foolish to try to drive towards that in order to think that that's going to get me to him and it's going to draw me deeper into a relationship with him. Alex has asked us a few questions and I want to ask them again uh, today in regard to your relationship with the Lord and where you are today. First question is, is the Christian life easy or hard for you? Do you feel exhausted or do you feel refreshed from serving God? Where are you? Why? Because, listen, these are the words that the word uses to describe what our Christian walk and our life should be like. It uses words like rest. It uses words like easy. And it uses words, a word like light. Because those are great descriptors of a true relationship with Jesus Christ. And anything that points us away from that is not the truth. I just want to address three questions today. Three very specific questions in regard to works. I, and I just want to make a real bold statement here and say that it is a lie concerning works. And I want to answer the question, what is the lie of works? And secondly, why do we believe the lie of works? And then thirdly, what is wrong with the lie of works? And I just want to be honest with you on the front side before I go through all of these. It would be much easier for me to preach a message today in favor of works than against it. Why? Because everything inside of me wants to perform and to please, believing that it's going to see me be accepted in him. But it is not the truth. So let's address the first question. All right, first question. What is the lie of works, okay? What is the lie of works? Well, it plays out something like this. Victorious living equals avoiding wrong actions and doing the right ones. Let me say that one more time. Victorious living equals avoiding wrong actions and doing the right ones. We're supposed to, listen, this is what we're told. We're supposed to buckle down and do something for God. Right, And we believe, I'm going to gain spiritual mileage by, re by revving up my religious RPMs in my life and doing, doing, doing. And many believe that the essence of Christian living is finding out 
what the Bible says. Let's go to the book. Let's find the checklist. And if I can check those things off and I can strive and I can work, I'm going to be accepted. I've been in church my whole life. I'm 48 years old. I, uh, I had to write an autobiography when I was in college years ago, and I self-titled it Born in the Pew, okay? Because so that, that's what it was like. I was born one day, and the next Sunday, I was at church, and I've been in the pew um, ever since then. And I can remember going to Sunday school and having that little white plastic church building that was a bank, right? And I would go up there, and I would put my offering in there, Right, we'd have our little meeting, and then we would disperse, and we'd go to our classes. And we got to our classes, we would fill out a little checklist, right? And the checklist said, uh, "Did you read your Bible? Check. Did you bring your tithe? Check." Which I didn't even have a job, you know. It's my mom and dad giving me money, but still, check. Did you learn your verse? Check for the most part, right? Did you scale a building in a single bound? Check, right? Did you help Jack Bauer defuse a bomb and save the world? Check, absolutely. But listen, that's what it's like when it's, when it's all built on performance, when it's all built on a whole bunch of to-dos. I mean, that's almost what it feels like you're trying to accomplish. Uh, somebody once said, Mary had a little lamb, a tiny little sheep, then it joined a local church, and it died from lack of sleep, right? Yeah, that just caught in. It took you about five seconds, but you got it. And that's how a lot of people feel, right? I, I'm going to go to this church and then I get involved in church, and it's like, man, I'm tired. This is getting heavy, and this is getting weary, and, and I'm starting to struggle. Why? Because it, it, all of a sudden, sometimes things get built on do, do, don't do. And it's crazy. The same believer who knows that he didn't become a believer by working for God believes that after he became a Christian, his whole life should now revolve around working for God. Which is, you think about that for a second. It's crazy to think that I could do something to become his child. It's, it's unmerited favor that he brings me into his family. And now I gotta change all that and I gotta start doing stuff in order for him to be happy with me. And here's where it gets further off track, right? So this person begins to study the Bible and they begin to start looking for instructions concerning what God expects and, and what I'm supposed to do and now that I'm saved and, and begins to think that the efforts of this unsaved man that couldn't yield any spiritual progress now believes that his own efforts are going to start yielding spiritual results now that he's a believer. And he's sincere, so sincere. We're all so sincere in our attempt to begin to advance spiritually. But oftentimes we're sincerely wrong because it's not something that's coming from our heart. It's not something that's coming from our priorities. It's not something that is directed by him. It's been directed by us. And it is self-effort. And here's the thing about self-effort. Self-effort will yield only frustration. Frustration. Oftentimes we call this kind of thing, we call it legalism. And definition of legalism that we could use today is any approach to Christian living that focuses on keeping rules or good behavior as a means of experiencing victory or growing spiritually. Now, is there anything wrong with keeping rules? No. Is there anything wrong with good behavior? No. Is there something misguided by choosing that as the path to experiencing victory or growing spiritually? Yes. That's where it gets off track. 
And people oftentimes who, who live this way or choose to live this way, we call legalists. And most often they are people that are described by, by being tired or being hard or being unforgiving. Because it's all about performance. Performance for themselves and performance for you. And that's how you are judged in their eyes. And if your concept of the Christian life suggests that God's primary concern with you is your behavior, I'm talking about your primary concern, his primary concern, then listen, you're probably a card-carrying member of a legalist club. And you need to break free from that. And the lie of works is believing and be living that rules and behavior in some to-do list that was created by some person will result in victory and growing spiritually in your life. That is a lie. Why would we believe that? Why would we allow ourselves to believe a lie of works? And I just got a few things here to respond to that. First of all, most people don't know any other way, right? And it just seems logical. It seems logical that God expects our best, right? It just seems logical that he, he wants me to do my best, and to which many believers would say, listen, that, that's true. I'm supposed to do my best. And that's not the truth. Religion is focused on trying to please God and that works are all about what we're supposed to be doing in our Christian religion. And that probably does work for the Christian religion, but biblical Christianity is really about a literal union that we have with Jesus Christ. And it's about us putting our faith and our trust in him to do in us what we can never do inside of ourselves. It's about him. So it seems logical. Number two, if we take that approach and we accept the lie and we begin to live that way, it will feed our ego and provide a sense of accomplishment in our life. Right? There's something good about checking off a list. And on Friday, you know, I had stuff I needed to go do. So I got my, uh, I got my notebook out and I made my list. And I started checking things off. And all of a sudden I realized that I did something that I didn't have on my list. You know what I did? I wrote it down and I put a line through it, right? Because I accomplished something. It made me feel good. What's the focus? What's the focus? Fulfillment through self-effort. That's the focus. The focus begins to be on me. And honestly, what happens is that when that focus isn't on God, the focus is placed on the man in the mirror. And I end up believing, I end up believing that I should all of a sudden be more blessed. All right, so there is a group of people in the room who understand this principle better than anybody, and that's the group called husbands, right? Because husbands, what do we do? We keep score, okay? Ladies, let me just speak some truth in your life today and just help you. Let me pull back the veil so you can understand us. We keep score, and a foot rub is worth so many points, and when we do the dishes, that's so many points. And when we vacuum, that's so many points. And when we do, that is worth. And that translates in our Christian life, right? We read our Bible. We correct a sinner. We tithe. And we look up to heaven, and it's like watching Russell Westbrook. When he hits a three, it's like, yeah, God, three, baby. Did you see that? Did you see what I just pulled off in my life? And what we have to understand is, we're not players in some holy roller fantasy league up in heaven. The angels aren't drafting us onto, our, onto their team. And every morning isn't a da-na-na, da-na-na, top ten of the things that we did the night before. 
I mean, can you imagine? Oh, man. Did you see Walker last night? Oh, he went off. Did you see the way he served? Oh, my gosh, we need to send him a blessing, right? No. It does not work that way. Self-effort. Self-effort can gratify. It can. But it can never satisfy. It can never completely fill us up. Thirdly, we're motivated by guilt. I mean, let's just be honest. We are motivated by guilt. And Alex addressed that last week. But what we think we owe God, right? But grace is free. I mean, sometimes I think God looks down from heaven and says, hey, Keith, grace can't be repaid. I mean, you think you can. You think you can get me on a payment plan, and after so many months, you're going to do enough to, for you to have paid for it. And it doesn't work that way because grace has no price. And it doesn't have no price because it's worthless. It has no price because it is priceless. And there's nothing that you and I could ever do to pay for it. Number four, we hope to gain God's acceptance. Right? We got the guilt thing. We got the ego. It seems logical. But number four is we hope to gain God's acceptance. And here's what we got to realize. You can't improve on total acceptance, which is what we have with him. We have total acceptance in Jesus Christ. And let's be honest. If doing is the measure, how much is ever enough? Ever enough. Sadly, listen, we buy into the lie. The live works because of a focus that we place upon ourselves. Next question, what's wrong with the live works? All right, so what's wrong with all of that? Well, let me just, let me just start by saying that matters related to God's law, we gotta be honest, create a huge controversy in the church today. And there's a lot of different polarizing views on all of that. And many think, hey, if we could just get the United States to return to the law, that would fix everything. Well, that's off track. If you go to the book of Revelation, you study a church in, in Revelation 2, 3, right in there, a church called Laodicea, Jesus didn't say, hey, if y'all will return to the rule book, everything can get fixed. He said, no, you got to return to me. And that's what we need. We need to return to him. The Christian walk does not revolve around us being good to accomplish and to pay for. Alex taught us to tell us that, right? John 19, verse 30. Jesus had tasted it. He said what? It is Finished, right? It's been paid for. The word to telestai. It is finished and it is paid in full. Jesus Christ is the doer and it is done. But like I said earlier, we're not the only ones who struggle with this. Thousands of years ago, uh, there's a group of churches in a place called Galatia. Matter of fact, turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians if you would. And we're going to look at some scripture this morning. Paul writes this letter to a group of Christians churches in the area called Galatia, and that is like a province. It's, it's kind of like um, if, if we wrote a letter to the churches in Chicagoland, right? It's a place that encompasses several cities, Wheaton and Lincoln Park and Barrington and Bolingbrook, right? So it's a whole bunch of, a bunch of different places, and that's what Galatia was like. But this is believed to be the very first letter that Paul wrote. We don't know that for sure. I wouldn't stake my life on it, 
but probably one of the very first letters that he wrote. And in one of his very first letters, the guy who penned most of the New Testament, in one of his very first letters, one of the very first things he says, he puts the gauntlet down and he says to believers that have been caught up in doing to-do lists and keeping to-do lists and rule books and, listen, you were saved by grace and you received all of that, but now you've gone back to the way. He wants to address this issue right off the bat. In Galatians 1, 6, he talks about them right off the bat and what they're doing and what they're looking like as they've gotten off track. He says, listen, I am shocked. I am shocked that you are turning away, which says to me, okay, so we were focused on God. We think we got to perform so we get onto all these to-do lists. So literally, when I get caught up in that, I move from God and I get my eyes on the to-do list. And he says, I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who in his love and mercy called you to share the eternal life that he gives through Christ. You are already following a different way, all right? So just we're only like 20 years out from when Christ had lived this earth and been crucified. Um, you're already following a different way that pretends to be the good news that is not the good news at all. That's not the good news. You are being fooled by those who twist and who change the truth concerning Christ, which is what we've been dealing with here. People who pollute the word. People who take the word of God, the grace of God, and they try to twist it and change it to try to manipulate and to try to maneuver us down a path that none of us needs to go down. Flip over to Galatians chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. He brings it up again. What magician, right? He's just trying to imagine his head. How in the world have you gotten off track like this? What magician has cast an evil spell on you? For you used to see the meaning of Jesus Christ's death as clearly as though I had shown you a signboard with a picture of Christ dying on the cross. Which for those of us who grew up in Sunday school, he's talking about flannel graph, right? Exactly. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law? Of course not. For the Holy Spirit came upon you only after you believed the message that you heard about Christ. Have you lost your senses? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? What's he saying? He said, the Spirit of God is in you. He's working inside of you. Why are you getting focused on your flesh? Why are you pulling out your planner? Why are you trying to make lists? thinking that that's going to get you to God. Did it get you there before? No, that's why you needed him. Jesus didn't come to help us to do it right. Jesus came that we might know him, right, to seek and to save those that are lost. He came to deliver us from the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? Because he's trying to move us into a relationship with him. The curse of the law is if you don't live up to the letter of the law, you die. And he came to deliver us from that. What did he say? He came to bring us life. Can I tell you the two words that I struggle with the most? Maybe this is too honest, but I just got to be honest today. The two words that I struggle with the most are do not. Do not. You put do not in front of something, and I am all over it, right? Do not walk on the grass. I'm there, man. Man, that's some good grass, right? Do not touch, right? Do not eat that before dinner. Whatever, right? Do not park here. I'm turning in right? Do not spit. My mouth starts to salivate. I mean, I got to get rid of it at that point in time. That is all an invitation to me. It's saying, Keith, I know I'm telling you not to, but you go for it. And I was like that as a child, and I'm oftentimes, I'm still like that. 
Last night, we're driving back into our neighborhood, and I've been talking about Ford Broncos, right? I want to go back to the 90s, a good time, right? I miss the 90s. I was raising kids. I got to go back and get the 90s back. But I, we passed this mid-90s Ford Bronco. It's all it's got a nice lift kit on it, got big tires on it, got the gas tank on the back, right? It's got the lights on the, oh, my brother over here is nodding his head. He sees it and he feels it with me, right? Got the lights on top, and I'm, I'm turned to Jennifer. I'm like, I got to have one of those. I really do. You know what she said to me? You are not going to get one of those. If you were to go home right now and get my iPad and you were to check my history on my internet searches, I spent hours last night researching Broncos, man. I'm going to find me a Bronco. So Keith, you're saying you struggle with the Ten Commandments and the Pentateuch and all that? Yes. Yes, I am so glad. I'm so glad when they asked that question to Jesus about, well, hey, what's the greatest commandment? I love that his response was, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That gave me a chance. Because if he'd have said, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, I'm done. Because I'm going in. When we begin to get obsessed by the rules, the rules become our idol. That becomes idolatry. And that's a problem for us in our life when the idol is the rules. There is never... Listen, folks, there is never enough to do or not do that's ever going to allow me and that's ever going to allow you to purchase the grace of God like boardwalk on a Monopoly board. We ain't ever going to get there. The Christian life and the grace of God is not about a list of rules any more than marriage is about a list of rules. A husband shouldn't need the rules of marriage to tell him to kiss his wife. Check out this picture. That is my baby girl, Jessica, being proposed to by Cody uh, two Christmases ago. That's me in the back. See me in the background? I am excited, right? Uh, they're getting married two weeks from tomorrow, uh, yesterday, right? And I'm going to get to walk her down the aisle. I had cancer uh, eight years ago, seven years ago. I asked God for a couple of things. One was to give me my voice back, which he did. And the second one was to allow me to walk my daughter down the aisle uh, someday. So my bucket list is finished. I hope two weeks from today he doesn't say you're done and gets me out of here. That would be kind of rough. Listen, when the minister tells Cody that he may kiss the bride, that should be the first time in his life and that should be the last time in his life that anybody ever needs to tell him to kiss his bride. If somebody else has to tell him that again, we're going to have a problem. We're going to have to talk. Why? Man, you're in love with that person. Right? I've been married to Jennifer for decades and decades and decades. No. <laughs> I've been married to Jennifer for decades. And uh, I wake up in the morning, right, and I see this beautiful person who has stayed with me, who has cared for me, who has loved me. We're talking about good times and bad times. We're talking about terrible and terrific, right? Awesome and amazing and other. What's the first thing that I want to do? I want to kiss her, right? I want to express my love to her. You know, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, died on the cross for my sins to save me. God Almighty pulls me into his family, 
I don't need a list of rules to look to him and say, I love you. Why? Because we have a relationship with one another. I don't need a rule book to tell me to do that. Satan knows the best way to defeat us as Christians. To make Christians believe that obeying the law is the path to victory. Listen, the harder you try, the more certain you are to fail. Let me say that again. The harder you try, the more certain you are to fail. Works is not a biblical practice. When it comes to being accepted by him. In grace, God does it all. God does it all. We simply receive. We simply receive. We are grateful beneficiaries, but we are not the providers. He is. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 28. Talking to a group of people, Jesus says, listen, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary, hard, who have struggles with forgiving, who are judgmental on other people, and you're carrying heavy burdens, and your feet are up off the ground, and you're struggling in life. And what's he say? I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Okay, not some wooden device. His teaching, his philosophy, his message. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke fits perfectly and the burden that I give is light. I mean, you gotta change your mindset. If you grew up like me in a philosophy, in a church mindset, if you gotta do, you gotta do, you gotta be, you gotta be, you gotta be, all that kind of stuff in order to receive favor with God because that's not true. And he can do that. He can transform you by the renewing of your mind. And and you just have to allow God to do that work. You gotta allow him to do it. I've been on a ventilator twice in my life. Um, I don't recommend it as something you need to go try out just to learn a principle. You know, I see these pictures and these videos of these guys that, that wanna get shocked, you know, by the thing the cops use, you know. That's just dumb. I mean, give me a break. But I have been on a ventilator twice. And I've woke up on the ventilator with my wrist in the straps, you know, and you can't talk and all of that. But you know what? I got no problem breathing on the ventilator. That baby's just going. And it's filling my lungs up and it's taking it back out. It's filling those lungs up and it's taking it back out. It's not overblowing them up. It's not sucking it all the way out. It's doing it the way it's supposed to. And that's what God does in our life. He fills us up. He allows us to exhale. He fills us up and he allows us to exhale when we completely depend on him. If you try to fight the ventilator, right, there's a reason they put your wrist in those leather straps because if you fight it, it's bad. It's a bad situation. And many Christians are hyperventilating in their life. But real joy comes when you understand that Christ is the doer. Listen, we are the body of Christ. Don't get me wrong today. We are the body of Christ and he acts in this world today through us. And Christ is moving through you in ministry. And is there work for us to do? Absolutely. We are his workmanship. He teaches us that. We're his poem. Faith without works is dead. And he has unique assignments for each and every one of us. But it's not for the purpose of earning his favor or his salvation. 
That part is done. Our work is to draw all men unto him with the message of grace that he poured out over each and every one of our lives. And honestly, the Christian life is easy if we just let him do it. And we let him do what only he can do and we give up on trying to do everything through ourselves. Let's bow our heads together today. And if you're here today on any of our campuses, listen, just, I just wanna to talk to you for just a second, especially if you're a person who would say, you know what, I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I've just kind of been thinking, hey, I'll just do a bunch of good stuff and I'm gonna get in someday or whatever. But you're here today and you say, listen, I wanna put my faith and trust in him. I wanna keep striving, stop striving. And I wanna see what he has for me today. And if that's you, I wanna lead you in a prayer. A prayer of accepting him and receiving his salvation. And if you would just pray this prayer after me, just say, dear Jesus, in the best way that I know how today, I ask you to come into my life and to save me. I believe that you are the savior of the world. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins for the purpose of saving me. I believe that you rose from the grave to pay the price for me. And I believe that you want to extend your grace to me today and it is for free. And so I receive it and I ask you to come into my life today and save me. And if you're here today and you would say, you know what? I am bound up with trying to perform. I am bound up with trying to to do things in order to receive God's acceptance and God's grace. And I am a believer. I have put my faith and trust in him, but I've started depending on a to-do list in order to make him happy. I just wanna pray for you today. I wanna pray for me as well. Dear Jesus, we, we turn to you today and uh, we ask you to help us. We ask for your forgiveness, for getting our eyes off of you and onto something else. And so, Lord, we pray today and we ask you to bring us freedom into our life. And God, we self-impose chains upon us and self-impose bondage upon ourselves. And, and so, God, we ask you to break those away and to cut those away. God, that we can move in you. God, I bind Satan instead. And I tell him he's not welcome in my life. He's not welcome in the lives of the people of this church. God, that we want to spend our life in our pursuit of you completely dependent upon you to do what only you can do. And we ask for you to accomplish that today in our lives, in the lives of our family, in our marriages, in the lives of our children, in the lives of those that we love and we're doing life with. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And we say amen and amen. Amen. God bless you.